Our scripture lesson from the gospel is taken from the gospel of Mark, chapter 10, starting at the 35th verse. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them all together and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. I may be an unfamiliar face to some of you. My name is David Roth. I'm the director of Memorial Drive Ministries. Um, Since I'm up front, I got to take my mic off. I got to say, I... I think it's giving me a little false confidence in my singing voice. It feels like I'm muted, so I'm just over there shouting. (laughs) I don't know if y'all are having the same experience with singing in a mask, but um, it's good to be with you to worship together, to open God's Word, to celebrate the Lord's Day together. I bring you greetings from Memorial Drive Ministries, where I'm uh, the director over there in Clarkston, Georgia. We work with the resettled refugee uh, population over there. So, Mingalaba, uh, Salam Aleikum, Habari, and some of the languages that are spoken on our campus. We're one of Emmanuel's mission partners, and I'm grateful um, to get to be with you this morning. I saw some of you, um, actually yesterday I saw some of you at Oakhurst Porch Fest, which was a great time. But then the Saturday before, I saw many of you also on our campus uh, at Memorial Drive Ministries dropping off welcome kits for newly arrived families. Thank you for being a part of that effort. Many uh, Afghan evacuees are arriving um, now, and many are arriving with very little uh, luggage or baggage at all. And so, y'all, by preparing those welcome kits, you are preparing concrete welcome, helping outfit apartments for these folks who are beginning to rebuild their lives. Um, So thank you for being a part of that effort. Um, It it means the world to me that my church uh, stands for that kind of welcome in the city. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So I've just read the gospel text this morning from uh, Mark chapter 10. Let's pray together as we um, dive into this text. Lord Jesus, you're the one who doesn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead you empty yourself, you decenter yourself so that you can come among us in great humility. You couldn't have come closer You came not to be served, but to serve. And your service to us is the very grounds of our salvation. Thank you for showing us the way of service, a better way than the way of the world. Help us to see it now. Open our eyes to this vision of a a path of 
service, a lifestyle of service, that we might live it out in all the places where we go, that we might live out your life before a watching world, that we might convey in word and deed the power of your grace and your way of service. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So my focus this morning is on service. This is a text about the lifestyle of service that those who follow Christ are called to. We've seen in like the last five Sundays, text after text are calling us to decenter ourselves, decenter ourselves in marriage, decenter ourselves with enemies, decenter ourselves with children. Uh, Jesus is calling us to decenter ourselves and giving us a vision of life that is other-centered rather than self-centered. This other-centeredness is the heart of service. Just before uh, the passage I read this morning, Jesus has just predicted his own suffering for the third time. He and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem, and this is the third time Jesus has taken his disciples aside and said, when we get to Jerusalem, I will be rejected. I will be humiliated. I will be mocked, spat upon, flogged, and given over to death. And each time Jesus has done this, the disciples are just not hearing that noise from Jesus. They are not getting it. They are not tracking. uh, And they come to him with various inappropriate responses. And today's text is James and John's turn. So they come asking Jesus for earthly glory. They say, which is also, they do a thing that is a strange way to approach anyone. They come to Jesus and say, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. (laughs) That's their initial approach after Jesus has opened up to them in this vulnerable moment uh, of his own path of personal suffering. They come and say, we want you to do whatever we want. uh, And what we want is that when we get to Jerusalem and you are grandiosely swept up into kingly glory and everything goes well for us, we want to sit at your right and left hand in earthly glory and earthly power. Uh, And Jesus again, so he takes the disciples aside again, and you guys, you're not getting it, right? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And whoever wants to be first must be servant. Whoever wants to be great must be servant. And so, This word service, I kind of did a deep dive into this word from the text today because it's obvious that this is central to what Jesus is trying to communicate in the Gospel of Mark. This term service is the Greek word diakoneo, and I want to lift up this term and really explore it um, in our time together this morning because I think service in English can kind of connote almost a one-off kind of thing, right? Like two Thanksgivings ago, I served soup at a soup kitchen and I did an act of service. Or even we we talk about a day of service. And those are all good things. But that's kind of a one-off mentality around service where diakoneo is an entire way of being. What Jesus is getting at is an entire orientation to God and the world all around us. And so I want to explore that concept, that all-of-life idea of diakoneo. But diakoneo, this, this vision of service, I'm going to kind of use the terms interchangeably throughout um, today's sermon. Diakoneo is attempting to bridge the proclamation of the abundance of the kingdom of God and the very real needs of the world. Diakoneo is a, <clears throat> a whole of life ministry of word and deed that's attempting to put the places in the world that are most vulnerable and most in need in contact with the very resources of God. That's the vision for our life. And for Jesus, this is what sets his disciples apart. This is what sets followers of Jesus apart from the world, this different way of relating to and using power. 
So over the next uh, 15 minutes, um, we're going to explore this idea of service, this lifestyle of service we're called to. And we're going to do so under four headings. We're going to explore it spatially, functionally, temperamentally, and theologically. And I'm going to recommend go to the doors, become bilingual, embrace the stutter, remember the ransom. Okay, Spatially, go to the doors, functionally, become bilingual, temperamentally, embrace the stutter, and theologically, remember the ransom. Let's dive in together. First, spatially, this is the question, where does Christian service happen? How do we go to the location where Christian service happens? And what I want you to think about is Christian service happens at the doors. It happens at the doors. It happens in the spaces where there's actually contact between church and world, a kind of brushing up of shoulders where church and world are entering in and out of each other. It's the places where the people of God are scattered out into the world to do their lives. And it's the place where the world are gathered into the people of God. That's the special site of Christian service. It's the site of Christian service isn't at the center of the church or at the center of the world. It's in that liminal space in between where they overlap, where things get messy, where we have to be encountering one another across lines of difference. That's the special site of diaconeo. And diaconeo is interested in that place. That life of service is interested in that place. We don't want to be isolated from the world or immune to the pain of the world. We want to be in those spaces so that we can offer the abundance of the kingdom. It always tries to be both, right? Even if they feel intention. Let me illustrate what I'm trying to get out with a story from my own life. When I was In college, I studied abroad in the Balkans. So these were the countries of the former Yugoslavia, uh, countries like uh, Bosnia and Croatia and Montenegro and Serbia. And these were countries that in the 90s were ripped apart by ethnic violence. Um, And in my time there, I read um, account after account, and I encountered people who had fled uh, persecution during those wars. And They had fled violence and danger. And I found I really could not look away from those stories. I wanted to be close to those stories. I wanted to attend to those stories. They were the kind of stories that just arrested my attention. And as I returned home and found myself in my local parish, um, I also heard the proclamation of God's grace and power, that God provides all things for all people, that God is the one who rescues And there were these rumors of God's grace and power on offer in the church through word and sacrament. And I found I couldn't look away from that either. Those two things, the experiences of those who were displaced and the rumors of God's grace and power on offer in the church didn't always fit together easily, but I found I couldn't look away from either one. For me, that's that intersection where diaconeo happens, where the lifestyle of service begins, where we see two things and we want to stay right at that intersection. Your doorway may not be the same as mine. The doorway you're called to may not be the same as mine. But the point is, the church has and must always have lots of doorways. Where's the doorway in your life where you can be a kind of conduit between the things of God and the things of the world? How can you be a servant in that space? And that brings us to the question of functionally. Functionally, how does Christian service function? The function of Christian service, I'm going to... as I'm going to articulate it today, is that of translation. It's interpreting. It's interpreting back and forth between the way of Jesus and the ways of the world, between the church and the world, faithfully representing in word and deed the church to the world and the world 
to the church, somehow trying to bring the things of the world to God and bring the things of God out into the world. Let's kind of dive into this idea of translation. So at Memorial Drive Ministries, where I'm the director, uh, we regularly have over 30 different languages spoken on our, on our campus. So translation is just a part of everyday life on our campus. Um, I speak English. I actually speak uh, none of those 30 languages that uh, happen on our campus. So I rely on translators every day. Actually, um, quick aside, in my Catholic school upbringing and then in seminary, I took Latin, which is undoubtedly the least helpful language that could possibly be, uh, you know, preparing me for my current role. But um, pretend I sit down with someone who speaks Lingala, an African language. They don't speak English. I don't speak Lingala. But enter the translator who sits down in between us, and she is able to fluently speak Lingala and fluently speak English. She can facilitate exchange. She can facilitate a kind of uh, relationship that can develop across a barrier. Um, When I am saying become bilingual, I don't necessarily mean French, although uh, maybe. What I'm saying is we need to learn how to both interpret the needs and concerns of the world to the church and begin to live out the gospel in ways that particular communities can receive it. What I mean is wherever God has placed you, whatever community of which you're a part, begin to learn. Let's begin to learn the culture, the grammar, the thought patterns, the particular needs of the people right around you, the people that you love, and become, through this life of service, a kind of mediator. Can you imagine yourself a kind of mediator between God and these people around you? Christian service will be fluent both in the ways of following King Jesus and in the ways of a particular community that you are invested in that no one else can be connected to. So Christian service, again, is fluent in both following Jesus on the one hand and the ways of you fill in the blank on the other, the accounting profession, skateboarder subculture, bluegrass musicians, the homeless in Atlanta, gamers, uh, refugees and immigrants, Gen Z, the gay and lesbian community in Decatur, those on hospice, the unemployed, vaccine conspiracy theorists, crypto investors. You're connected to one of these groups of people or many, right? Wherever you are, become fluent in the needs, the concerns of that people and see them as a site where you can be able to be, again, a conduit to the things of God and those um, individuals. Wherever God has placed you, whatever community God places on your heart, that's the site of Diaconeo. Another Anglican diocese says it this way, the work of Christian service is to, through firsthand knowledge, know the state and condition of our neighbors, especially the most vulnerable, that the church might be better able to offer a Christian response and embody God's grace in particular ways. So you have firsthand knowledge of a community that no one else uh, has firsthand knowledge of. Are you thinking about how you're serving in that space? So go to the doors, become bilingual, become that translator. Um, But then what is the character or temperament of Christian service? Let me try to set up why I think that question is so important. This is because if you really get close to the needs of the world and you begin to let those needs kind of sink down deep into your heart, the truth is that that can be a very difficult and even scary thing. It's true that in those spaces you will see joy, you'll see resiliency, you will see God at work, Um, you'll see remarkable agency in 
the face of staggering odds. I've, I've seen all of that in my refugee friends and neighbors, and I've had them pointed out to me when I'm missing it. But to really begin to feel the pain of others and to sit with them in those vulnerable spaces and moments, to feel it with them, it can be difficult and even devastating emotionally and psychologically and spiritually to attend to the needs of the world uh, in real, real ways is, is hard work. You know, the gospel is that, as we were singing just this morning, the gospel is that Jesus is victorious over all the powers of evil. And we see that manifest when the fruit of the Spirit begins to create relationships of peace and justice. When we welcome the refugee, when we, uh, the unjustly incarcerated are set free, when our neighborhood groups begin to look like the neighborhoods we live in, when we visit the sick and keep uh, the elderly integrated into our families, when we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, care for the marginalized. In those practical ways, in those instances, the way of God, the way of the kingdom of God gets practiced in material ways and the everyday habits of our lives begin to look more and more like the kingdom of God. But we also have to be honest and truthful that when we look around, we also see places where evil seems to have the upper hand, where injustices and pain seem to win out over fellowship and love. I don't have to remind you of images of men on horseback uh, whipping Haitian asylum seekers at the southern border while spewing racism or images of Afghan refugees holding onto the wheels of departing planes trying to get away from the horrific violence of the Taliban. These are stories that to get close to these stories is a kind of risk. There's a, a struggle that won't be easy. And that's just kind of my corner whether you get involved in a Be the Bridge group and start learning about the histories of racial injustice that, that scar our great state, or you start volunteering in Lazarus or Atlanta Mission and you get close to the kind of traumas of homelessness, or you start a Parkinson's st- support group uh, and, and get to know what that feels like to be a caregiver or someone who battles that condition, um, or you just sit quietly with a friend who's had a second miscarriage, or someone who's lost a job and is crippled by student debt. In every one of these instances, to get close and to, to try to be Christ in that space, to offer diaconeo, that lifestyle of service, it will be difficult. And I know that many of you have been there. I know that many of you are, are doing this work. You're in those spaces, and you know the kind of struggle that opens up. And so this question of what's our temperament as we engage in those spaces, as we try to offer service, as we try to be a bridge between God and communities where there's vulnerability or pain, how do we do that? How do we offer that temperamentally? Um, And this is where I'm going to recommend this kind of metaphor, embrace the stutter. Let me try to tell you what I mean. Sometimes when I use an interpreter or translator at work, the reality is that two languages don't always have an exact word, right? And what happens is sometimes one language actually has six words, or the, the other language that only has one word. Or other times, there's actually not an exact match. There's just not a word that translates. And so the translator, these are always interesting moments because the translator kind of stops. And they actually kind of stutter. And sometimes what happens is they'll get a little confused and they'll speak Lingala to me and English to my, <laughs> my other partner. Or they'll kind of, a third language will come out, a kind of Lingala English, or a kind of Swahili, like a third language that they know that neither of us know. Um, There's a stutter that happens. Uh, And whenever a translator is stuttering, 
it's true, that's a place where miscommunication is more likely, but it's also a place where actually the most deep exchange, the most deep understanding can begin to open up. Let me tell you another story to kind of layer on top of that one to try to get at what I'm, what I'm getting at. When I was in college, um, I remember this day in class pretty distinctly. I took a course on post-World War II philosophy. So these were people who had been in the European continent and had struggled intellectually with the legacy of the Third Reich and the final solution and the genocide that shocked Europe. And one of the students in that class had, had raised her hand and kind of been called on to jump into the discussion, reflecting on some of these, these readings. And there was obvious emotion uh, in what she was trying to get out. And she, she eventually couldn't get it out. There was just kind of a stutter, and then she kind of put her head down. And my professor said something that I've never forgotten. With kindness and patience, he said, don't worry. Sometimes good people stutter. Sometimes good people stutter. And I think what my professor was saying was that in the face of pain, in the face of tears, in the face of all that the world is but that shouldn't be, sometimes there aren't words. Sometimes the very best we can do, it just sounds like stuttering. Sometimes there are traumas that are indescribable, and sometimes the things of God feel indescribable, and to sit in that space will feel like a stutter. But what my professor, I think, was also saying was that to stutter matters because to stutter is to not walk away, to not turn away. It's to continue attending in that space, to continue to be present to the person you're with. Nicholas Wolterstorff, uh, a theologian, a philosopher, once wrote words like this. There are some who long to find the world, the sacrament of God's presence, but they just can't. Their tears blot out their vision and they cannot see. There are some who long to hear the voice of God whisper something tender and loving, but the cries at night are all they hear. Some there are whose experience of the world is so painful in the brickyards of ancient Egypt, in the gulags of Soviet Russia, in the sickbed of a cancer war, that though they continue to cry out to God for deliverance, they cannot worship. Those are real spaces that you and I partake of. You and I Monday through Saturday, you guys are at those places, especially in the midst of this pandemic. There are dark places in the world, and we have to be honest about that. But my friends, diakoneo, this vision of service, of using power differently than the world uses power, to minister in word and deed in precisely those spaces, to not hide our eyes from those spaces, but to go there and try to embody Christ so that people might just catch a glimpse of God's grace in this world. That's the answer to those spaces. Christian service is how those spaces begin to maybe just catch a glimpse of the grace and power of God. At this table, God reaches out to the church in such a marvelous way where we can actually taste and see the goodness of God. And diakoneo, this lifestyle of service as you're scattered through the doors, becoming bilingual in whatever community you're a part of, embracing the stutter, that's how this table, Eucharist, gets out into the world in practical, material ways. Do you see that movement? That's what brings us to this final piece of the sermon, theologically. You know, I hope uh, in some ways if I've done my job, you 
likely don't feel up to the task of Christian service to stand at the edge of the world's deepest needs is not a, an easy thing uh, to feel called to. I think, honestly, the words of Jesus in this text uh, leave his disciples in that place, I think. Uh, it's a good place to be. And to be honest, for me, if I'm honest with myself, I'm still like James and John, kind of in bondage to kind of consumerism and selfishness and the pursuit of earthly glory myself, right? I'm a slave to that stuff, and I don't see a way out easily. I don't trust myself to just become different. How could I ever move from where I am Monday through Saturday to a kind of all-encompassing vision of other-centeredness? How will we become liberated to become the kind of curious, joyful Christian servants that this city and this world desperately need? And the answer is to remember the ransom. Remember the ransom. We've got to encounter the true servant God and have that God rescue us. This is our only hope, to have our servant God set us free. Listen, my friends, Jesus is the one who's done all of these steps. Jesus is the one who sees a door between heaven and earth and unlocks it and opens it for you and I. Jesus is the one who becomes bilingual in the language of God and the language of humanity. Jesus spoke a language so that he could get close to us. Jesus is the one who on the cross stutters out, my my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's the man of sorrows acquainted with grief who holds the grief of the world in his hand so that you don't have to hold all of it yourself. And when you see Jesus rising up out of the deepest needs of the world, rising up out of the kind of abyss of hell in the glorious resurrection and his wounded hands offer you and me bread and wine, we will be changed, we'll be made new. It's in the wounded hands of our servant Christ that we become servants too. At this table, Jesus dons an apron. In the Gospel of John, Jesus wraps a towel around his waist. We'll never know a moment where we don't need the service of our Savior. For he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.